turn this on. You good with the wireless, the headset? Awesome. Well, good morning, everyone. It is a pleasure to be here this morning. And uh, l- like David said, we, I've, David and I have been good friends for long, uh, long, longer than I'd like to admit, I feel like. I, I don't feel like I should be able to say I've been in ministry as long as I have been. Um, but before we dive in, I, I want to pray um, that God would just speak through me, that, that I would get out of the way, and that God would be the one speaking to us this morning. So would you bow your heads with me? Heavenly Father, I just thank you for this morning. I thank you for the, the privilege and the honor to be here at New Village Church to, to share your word. Father, I pray that this morning as we take a look at your word that I would move out of the way. That this wouldn't be the message that I want to give, Lord, but the message that you want to speak through me. Father, that you, you've been preparing our hearts this morning for this message, Lord. I pray that we would have the ears to hear what it is that you want to share with us this morning. We just pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. And real quick, before we even dive in, the, the scripture reading this morning, thank you so much, Matt, for, for sharing that. You know, I, I love the, the idea of the, that dividing wall in the temple being split. Right? If you don't know what that's talking about, it's, it was a curtain. It was, like, it was super thick, and, and when Jesus died, that, that curtain just tore right in half. Right? And that allowed us access to the Father. Right, think about that. This, this curtain was separating us. Only the high priest could go in there and, and be in God's presence. And even then, they had to tie a rope around him with bells on it to make sure he didn't die if he wasn't clean enough to go in there. Right? And they would have to drag him out because, you know, I couldn't go in there and pick him up if he passed away. Right? And that, that veil tore, and, and we now have access to the Father. Right? Isn't that, that awesome? <laughs> That's so cool to me. Uh, that, that God would, would allow that. Uh, this morning, we're going to be taking a look at obedience. And as someone who's worked in youth ministry, obedience is something that, <laughs> David chuckles, obedience is not something that a lot of us like to talk about, right? If you're parents, I'm sure you know, obedience was not a topic that was usually a good topic to have with your kids, right? I can remember as a, as a young child, you know, being... <laughs> being a disobedient little boy, right? And, and I can remember a specific time my parents told me to go clean my room. And I, I said to myself as, as a you know, little, little kid saying, man, I don't want to do that. And my parents actually have a video. I wish that I had the technology to be able to take, you know, one of those handheld camcorders and convert it to where we could put it up on a screen. They couldn't open my door. I pulled everything out. Instead of cleaning my room, I made it even worse. And obedience was something that as a young child I did not want to do, right? And obedience is one of the hardest things to do as a Christian is to be obedient, right? If we're being honest. And why is that so hard to be obedient to God? Well, I think sometimes it's, it's, we just simply don't want to, right? God has called us to do something. We're like, man, God, I don't want to do that. Other times we're not obedient because maybe we're scared, Maybe what God is, God is telling us to do, we're like, man, God, that's scary, and I'm just scared to do it, right? But C.S. Lewis says this about obedience. He says, the natural life knows that if the spiritual life gets hold of it, all its self-centeredness and self-will are going to be killed, and it is ready to fight tooth and nail to avoid that. Our 
sinful self knows that if we let God get a hold of it, that all our self-centeredness, all our self-focus about me is going to be gone, and it's ready to fight tooth and nail to keep that. Right? We're going to be in uh, the first passage. We're going to be in Exodus 17, 1 through 7. Um, but I want to share another quote with you is, is this. Charles Stanley says, The bottom line in the Christian life is obedience. And most people don't even like the word. Most people don't even like the word obedience, right? In, in youth ministry, when I, if, if I were to be sitting in front of a bunch of high school students, and I were to say, hey, we're going to talk about obedience, I can guarantee you most of them would be like, oh, do we have to? Are you sure that's what we're going to talk about tonight? Right? Most of us don't even like the word obedience. We're going to take a look at um, a, a time in Moses' life when he was obedient. And we're going to take a look at a time in his life when he wasn't obedient. And we're going, to, we're going to see what that does, right? And all throughout the Bible, obedience is a key concept, right? And so something that I like to do, if you've ever heard me speak before, um, I, I really like definitions. I like to define things because I think if we don't have the same working definition of a word, we can come to so many different conclusions about what we're talking about, Right? One of the things uh, in school that we were taught is um, when, when you're doing evangelism, make sure to define the words you're using, right? Because maybe saying saved means something to you, but to someone else, it's totally different. So defining words is important. So obedience, according to the dictionary, is willing to do what someone tells you to do or to follow a law, rule, etc. right? That's the, the dictionary definition. All right, and so with that in mind, let's dive into Exodus 17. I'll be reading from the, the New Living Translation. Um, so if it's a little bit different, that, that's why. Verse 1. At the Lord's commands, the whole community of e Israel left the wilderness of sin and moved from place to place. Eventually, they camped at Rephidim, but there was no water there for the people to drink. So once more, the people complained against Moses. Give us water to drink, they demanded. Right? I, I want to break there, right? They're, they're walking in the, in the wilderness, in the desert, right? Have any of you ever, like on a hot day, been working, you're like, man, I, I need something to drink. This is what they're feeling. But, but even multiply that, because they're walking, and they're, they're traveling, and there's millions of them, right? And Moses replies, quiet, Moses replied. Why are you complaining against me, and why are you testing the Lord? But tormented by thirst, they continue to argue with Moses. Why did you bring us out of Egypt? Are you trying to kill us? Our children, our livestock with thirst, are you trying to, are you trying to kill us by, by withholding water from us? Is that your goal here? Like, why did you take us out of Egypt where we lived comfortably? We had food, we had water. Yeah, we had to work a lot, but we had food and water. And then Moses, verse 4, Moses cried out to the Lord, What should I do with these people? They are ready to stone me. And the Lord said to Moses, Walk out in front of the people, take your staff, the one you used when you struck the water of the Nile, and call some of the elders of Israel to join you. I will stand before you on the rock at Mount Sinai, strike the rock, and water will come gushing out of it. Then the people will be able to drink. So Moses struck the rock as he was told and water gushed out 
as the elders looked on. Right? Think about that. Right? How many of you have ever gone and hit a rock with a stick? None of us, right? I mean, maybe when I was little, I was trying to break the stick, but God tells Moses to do something absolutely ridiculous. Go hit this rock with your staff, and water is going to come forth. Now, I don't know about you guys, but I, that sounds crazy to me, right? And sometimes God calls us to do some pretty crazy things, right? And verse 7, Moses named the place Massa, which means test, and Meribah, which means arguing, because the people of Israel argued with Moses and tested the Lord by saying, is the Lord here with us or not? I want to take a look at the, the first thing is that obedience has its rewards, right? Moses, his reward for being obedient was water, something they desperately needed, water. But for us as Christians, obedience has rewards in that, A, it deepens our relationship with God. When we are obedient to God, it deepens our relationship with him, right? Obedience is a sign of faith. When God tells us to do something and we do it, we're saying, God, as crazy as it might sound to go hit a rock with a stick, you told me to do it. You told me that something was going to happen from it, so I will do it. And God proves himself faithful by doing what he says he's going to do. Right? And when we trust God and we're obedient to him, it's a sign and an exercise of faith. Right? And you look at Joshua 1.8, which says, Study the book of instruction continually. Meditate on it day and night, so we'll be sure to obey everything written in it. Only then will you prosper and succeed in it. Right? Moses tells Joshua, hey, study the word, and then you will be successful. Right? Joshua, his success was dependent upon his obedience to God. Right? And I think as Americans, we lose sight of what success really is. And I'm not talking like he's going to be a millionaire. He's going to you know, live in a mansion. No, he's going to do what God has called him to do. Right? Obedience is a sign of faith. Now, disobedience is a whole other story, right? Disobedience, we're going to be in Numbers 20 for this one, disobedience has some really grave consequences, right? Let's look at Moses and what happened in Numbers chapter 20, right? Again, there was no water for the people to drink at that place, so they rebelled against Moses and Aaron, right? Again, right, you would think that Israel would learn, you think that they would learn that, that God is going to take care of them. In the wilderness, God provided food for them. In a, in a barren wilderness, God provided food for them every, every morning. Right? God had, in the past, already provided plenty of water. And the people, verse 3, blamed Moses and said, If only we had died in the Lord's presence with our brothers. Why have you brought the congregation of the Lord's people into this wilderness to die along with all of our livestock? Sound familiar? Right? Feels like Israel has two levels, right? Praise God, we're, we're going to live. Oh my goodness, we're going to die because we don't have water. There's no middle ground with them, right? Sounds a lot like high school students sometimes, right? There's no middle ground. It's, it's one extreme or the other. Verse 5. 
Why did you make us leave Egypt and bring us here to this terrible place? This land has no grain, no figs, no grapes, no pomegranates, and no water to drink. So Moses and Aaron turned away from the people and went to the entrance of the tabernacle where they fell face down on the ground. Then the glorious presence of the Lord appeared to them. And the Lord said to Moses, You and Aaron must take the staff and assemble the entire community. As the people watch, speak to the rock over there, and it will pour out its water, and you will provide enough water from the rock to satisfy the whole community and their livestock. Think about that. Enough water for all the community, right? Some, Some two million Jews, two million Israelites, and all of their livestock. Now, I'm not a farmer. I'm not a rancher. I don't, I don't deal with cattle. My younger brother, for some reason, has recently started falling asleep to watching YouTube videos about farms. Why, I have no idea, because we live on Long Island, right? And so I don't know how much water a cow needs to drink to stay healthy. But I'm sure it's probably a lot, right? Enough water for even the animals. God is going to provide abundantly more than, than even just the people need. And that's, that's what, God, you know, and God says, what God says he's going to do, he's going to do, right? So verse 9, so Moses did as he was told. He took the staff from the place where it was kept before the Lord. Then he and Aaron summoned the people to come and gather at the rock. Listen, you rebels, he shouted. Must we bring you water from this rock? Then Moses raised his hand and struck the rock twice with the staff. And water gushed out, so the entire community and their livestock drank their fill. Now, did you catch the this little, little difference there? Did you catch that? Right, God said to Moses, Moses, speak to that rock, and water will come out. And what does Moses do? He took the staff, and instead of just simply speaking to it like God had told him to, he struck the rock with the staff. Right, and I'm just picturing... You know, you, you see in the movies, you know, these is usually for comedic effects, right? Someone will do something and it doesn't happen and they're like, oh no. Uh, and tries it again, right? That's what I picture Moses doing, right? He hits the rock, nothing happens. He's like, they're going to kill me. It's over. So he hits it again and, and God in his goodness still brings forth water, right? But Moses wasn't really, right? God told him to speak, not to use the staff. And part of that reason was to show that the staff wasn't what held any, any power. The staff wasn't what was important, but it was God doing this miracle. So verse 12, But the Lord said to Moses, Because you did not trust me enough to demonstrate my holiness to the people of Israel, you will not lead them into the land I am giving them. This place was known as the waters of Meribah because the people of Israel argued with the Lord, and there he demonstrated his holiness among them, right? Think about that. Because Moses wasn't obedient to what God told him to do, not fully, right? He, he kind of did what God told him to do. He gathered the people. He stood before them at the rock and almost did everything that he was told. But because of his disobedience, God says to him, you don't get to go into the promised land. You don't get to lead my people into the promised land. Yikes. Moses has just spent, he spent so many years leading this rebellious, fickle people 
only to be told, you didn't listen. There are consequences for our disobedience. Moses, at that time, showed a lack of faith that God could do what he said he was going to do. Right? Edwin Lewis Cole says this, Obedience is an act of faith, and disobedience is the result of unbelief. And one of my professors when I was at, uh, I, for those of you who don't know me, uh, I did two years at the Word of Life Bible Institute. Um, really, really loved my time there. Then I did my, I finished up my bachelor's at Liberty University, and I just this last December graduated with my master's uh, in theology from Clark Summit University. And it was a really long road. But one of my professors said this, and, and it stuck with me. This is my, from my first year, so this feels like, it's like 10 years ago. Said this, that slow or partial obedience is complete disobedience. Right? My parents telling me to go clean my room and me shoving all my stuff into my closet is not really obedience. Right? I'm just kind of, you know what? She wants the floor cleaned. I'm going to get the floor cleaned and just shove everything into the closet or under the bed. And I can be honest, I've, I've done that several times. But slow or partial obedience is complete disobedience. And that's a hard thing to wrap our heads around and to accept, right? That, that slow obedience to God is an act of unbelief at times, right? So what, what's the point? What's the point of us looking at these verses, these passages about Moses? Well, guys, like I've been saying, obedience is, a, is an act of faith, right? And God has called us to do some crazy stuff, right? And so I want us to choose intentional obedience, really be intentional about being obedient to God, right? Martin Luther said this, when God works in us, the will being changed and sweetly breathed upon by the Spirit of God desires and acts not from compulsion, but responsively. When we are obedient, we are obedient not because we want to just fulfill all the rules. But we're being obedient because we're choosing to be because of what Christ has done for us on the cross. Right? Philippians 2.13 says, For God is working in you, giving you the desire and the power to do what pleases Him. Right? When we put our trust in Christ, God is the one working in us, changing us to be obedient to His will. Right? As Christians, we sing... Uh, we sing and we talk about how Jesus is Lord of our lives or he's the king of kings, right? But as Americans, honestly, I think we lose sight of what those words actually mean, right? We, we live in a country where there is no king. We have a, we have a president. We, have, uh, we live in a republic, right? And we don't really understand what a king or a lord really means, right? A king can say to his people, do this, and they will do it. A Lord has complete authority over the lives of those who are submitting to him as Lord. And as Christians, if we're saying that God is Lord of our lives and that he is the king of kings, man, that means when he says jump, we say how high. Not, why do you want me to jump, God? 
2 Corinthians 5, 17, one of my favorite verses says this, for this means that anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. The old life is gone and a new life has become, be, begun. Sorry. All right? We should no longer be obedient simply because it's what we should do, but because we want to because of what Christ has done for us on the cross. He has made us new and is working in us. Right? And so how do we apply this? Because right? what good is, is talking about obedience if we have no way to apply what we've just, just talked about? Right? Well, the first thing that I, I, that I think is key is, one, r- read your Bible. Right? That sounds so simple and so basic, but read your Bible. How can you know what God is calling us to do if you don't read what he's telling us to do? Right? Right? James 1, 22 to 25 says this, But don't just listen to God's word. You must do what it says. Otherwise, you're only fooling yourselves. For if you listen to the word and don't obey it, it is like glancing at your face in a mirror. You see yourself walk away and forget what you look like. But if you look carefully into the perfect law that sets you free, and if you do what it says, don't forget what you heard, then God will bless you for doing it. We need to look into the mirror that is God's word. We need to be reading God's word for him to be able to speak to us. Right? A.W. Tozer said this. He says, The true follower of Christ will not ask, If I embrace this truth, what will it cost me? Sorry. If I embrace this truth, what will it cost me? Rather, he will say, This is truth. God help me to walk in it. Let come what may. That's a challenging thing to say, right? This is truth. God help me to walk in it. Let come what may. Right? God's word calls us to do so many things. At, at my church in Middle Island, we just got done with the series about the church and the mission of the church and how do we apply and do the mission of the church. Right? And the church has been called to make disciples, share the gospel. That is what we've been called to do to be a light in the darkness that is around us, right? David prayed this morning. All you got to do is just scroll through Facebook. Just, just for not even a minute. And all you see is debates and arguments about all kinds of things, even, even stupid things that have no bearing on our lives and our real lives, except on social media. We are called to be a light. And... We need to be in God's word, right? And, and going back to the kings and lords and one of the things that they had the authority to do is when they needed them, they could call on their followers, those that were under them, right? God, Henry Blackaby says this, God, he has the right to interrupt your life. He is Lord. When you accepted him as Lord, you gave him the right to help himself to your life any time he wants. Think about that. A lot of times we don't obey because we're comfortable. Right? When my wife asks me to do the dishes as I'm lounging on the couch, cuddling with my cats, watching football, it's hard sometimes to say, all right, I'll do it right now because I'm comfortable and about to fall asleep. Sometimes we don't answer God because we're comfortable and we don't want to be uncomfortable. But like Henry Blackaby says, 
We gave him the right. We said to God when we put our trust in him, God, I am giving you the right to rule over my heart, and you can interrupt me whenever you want to. And that statement is a real serious one to make, right? If you're, that means possibly being uncomfortable at work, right? Talking with your coworkers about the Lord. Or maybe it's being uncomfortable in your family, right? B.J. Miller says, it is a great deal easier to do that which God gives us to do, no matter how hard it is, than to face the responsibilities of not doing it. I used to, uh, up until recently, I was working at a nursing home. And I was, one, I was with my coworker who was not a Christian. And we're, 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 it's around Easter time, and we're in the, in the cafeteria, and we had hung a bunch of stuff from the ceiling, and one of them was a lamb. And she says to me, Lenny, why is there a sheep for Easter time? And I'd love to tell you that I, was, I, I took hold of that opportunity right then and there and told her how the lamb represents Jesus, who is the perfect God slain for my sins. But I didn't. And now I have to deal with the, the responsibility of having not shared the gospel at a time when God put, literally put it on a tee. God literally said, crush it. And let me tell you, that weight at times is overwhelming. Knowing that I missed the opportunity that God so graciously laid right in front of me for the taking. The second thing, the second thing is, is really important, is be accountable to somebody. Find someone that's going to hold you accountable in all areas, right? Proverbs 27, 17. Right? As iron sharpens iron. Get people in your life who are going to ask you the hard questions. The hard questions about whether or not you're being obedient to what God has called us to do. And in closing, I want to share a quote from, from Tozer again. He says this, Anyone who might feel reluctant to surrender his will to the will of another should remember Jesus' words. Whosoever committeth sin is the servant of sin. He must have ne- we must of necessity be servant to someone, either to God or to sin. The sinner prides himself on his independence completely overlooking the fact that he is the weak slave of the sins that rule his members. The man who surrenders to Christ exchanges a cruel slave driver for a kind and gentle master whose yoke is easy and whose burden is light. And so I want to close with this question. How are you being obedient? Are you being slow or maybe partially obedient? Are you being fully obedient? Church, get into the Word, study it, and find someone to be accountable to. Let's pray. Father, I just thank you for your Word. Lord, I pray that you would give us each the ability and the, the desire, Lord, to be obedient to your Word.
to be obedient to you, Lord. I pray that, that we would willingly let you interrupt our lives whenever you want to. Father, that we would be reading your word, seeking your guidance in all things. And we just pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.